Hi everyone, I'm Kim Thomas and welcome to this seasonal broadcast of the Curate's Corner, Seven Fridays in Lent. The season of Lent commemorates the 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus went out and fasted, he was tempted, and he was preparing for his public ministry. Down through church history, Lent has evolved into a period of spiritual devotion and observation, for Christians beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending on the night of Holy Saturday, the day before Easter. Lenten practice varies throughout the different streams of the church, ultimately serving to draw us closer to the Lord as we remember his suffering, his death, and his glorious resurrection. On this podcast, for the next seven Fridays, I'll focus our attention on seven events in the last week in ministry of Jesus' life. I'll use the help of some classic art, prayers, and scripture to focus our attention. And I hope that you will subscribe and comment below. Also, there's a link in the show notes, and that will help to take you to where you can see the art that we'll be looking at each week. Uh, as well as links to the scripture if you want to follow along each week when we read from the gospel. And speaking of which, I thought each week we'd begin by reading the scripture, and that will give us a context and a place to begin. And this week, I thought we would look at the triumphal entry of Christ as he came to Jerusalem during the Passover And uh, the triumphal entry is an interesting um, title that the Gospels give to this because while it is the triumphal entry, the beginning of the finished work of Christ on our behalf, um, it was not the kind of entry that they expected for a triumphal entry. It was very humble and unexpected. So I'll be reading today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44, and I'll be reading from the ESV. You're welcome to get your Bible and follow along if you like, or uh, you can just listen as I read. All right. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And this is referencing the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they said, Take it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, 
Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Reminds me of the day of his birth when they all rejoiced and said glory in the highest. Just a couple verses more, 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but it is a very rocky country. And I think of this verse every time we go that um, Jesus said, if these are silent, the rocks will cry out. And I look around and think, what a choir that would be because of how many rocks and how many stones there are in Israel. And Jesus looked around and saw that. What a beautiful, beautiful metaphor he used in that moment to speak to them. Well, so this will be our reference for today, this beautiful story of Christ entering Jerusalem and um, beginning the last week of his journey to the cross. So the art that we'll look at to um, sort of fill in more of the story for today is uh, the triumphal entry that was painted in 1844 by Jean Hippolyte Flandrin. He did the work, as I say, in 1844. So he was um, uh, sort of the end of the Renaissance. He was influenced by the Italian Renaissance painters. And um, he was the middle of three sons that were all painters. So that was probably a pretty interesting family growing up. I, I would bet that the refrigerator got pretty full of all the art that those kids made growing up. But um, he and his younger brother were the more serious of the three about pursuing the art. And he and the younger brother saved up their money. And uh, as they grew and got older, they pursued their way from Lyon, where they were born and grew up, and made their way to Paris, where, of course, all painters wanted to be, to study and to pursue their art. And when he got there, of course, the two of them were the perfect, iconic picture of starving artists. They had minimal money and lived a very pauper-type life in their studio, you know, gathering around a little uh, can with a fire in it to stay warm. And um, for many years, barely eked out a living. In his early years, uh, Jean Hippolyte was uh, known more for his portraiture. And um, he worked for a long time, not having anybody really take notice of him. And then, of course, as these things happen, finally caught the eye of someone influential and was given an important scholarship, which opened up the doors for really the rest of his career. Uh, the most important of which was many, many years later, when he was given the opportunity to decorate uh, the walls of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, which is the oldest church in all of Paris. And when I say decorate, that is what they called it when they painted the interior of these beautiful churches. Um, I would call it far more than decorating. It is certainly a high form of art. 
But um, when he was given this opportunity, he was invited to paint the sanctuary, the choir, and the nave. Um, these are separate areas of these beautiful churches, and the walls are extremely high and um, an incredible amount of work, which is why it took him from 1842 to 1861 to complete this work. And um, the major part of his career, but also the penultimate of his career. He uh, is known to have said painting was a ministry and a calling to him. He took it very serious. He was a Christian. He was a believer. And his friend at the time when he was working on this church, the Bishop of Nimes, he said about him, his faith inspired him with a conscientious love of art such that painting was no mere profession in Flandrin's eyes, but a ministry. He uttered a magnificent profession of faith on the walls of God's temple. I thought that was really beautiful, and uh, it really does speak forth. I've seen many churches with many, many paintings, and uh, you can see something special in the humility and the delicate beauty of um, the beauty of the touch and uh, the execution of Jean Hippolyte Flandrin. So the church, I wanna just reference where this was done because this is a really important church in Paris being the very oldest church in Paris. And there's 197 churches in Paris. Uh, there's quite a lot of work going on at all times in restoration. I'd love to take a summer and be involved in restoration of the art in those churches. But this one in particular is the oldest and it was founded in the 540s uh, when the abbey was first built. And in 2011 and 12, actually, when uh, restoration began on this beautiful church, money always being raised, so only part of it being restored and another part being restored. And in 2020, most of the renovation was finished. It always continues, so there's more to be done. But um, Jim and I were there in Paris uh, before the restoration began and saw it when it was still in the, the darkened state and um, everything looked uh, like it had a smoky film over all the beautiful decoration. But another incredibly interesting thing about this uh, beautiful church, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, which is in that area of Paris Saint-Germain, um, is that in the abbey of the church, the very first Bible printed that was not in Latin, it was printed in French, was printed there in Saint-Germain-des-Prés in the abbey. So a really important church uh, there in Paris. It's a, an amazing church. I hope if you ever make your way to Paris, you get to go there and see it. So now let's look at the painting, and I believe it'll be on your, on your screen, and you can see this uh, just uh, delicious painting that Jean Hippolyte Flandrin has painted for us. And uh, this one in particular was done in the um, sanctuary. There were big uh, murals that were done in the sanctuary, and then there were smaller paintings done throughout the church. And in fact, I think you probably have already seen a picture of the church that showed where this painting was. 
And it, um, in this photo, you can see up close, though, what the painting looks like. Interestingly enough, um, these were done in encaustic, a melted hot wax with pigment and resin. And it was an attempt to reproduce ancient techniques found in archaeological discoveries at temples in Italy and Greek colonies. And when I read this, that that was the technique that he used, I was all the more in awe of the exquisitely delicate and expressive painting. I've worked in encaustic myself, and um, I cannot imagine uh, utilizing the medium for such incredible detail and delicate expressions and faces. Uh, I know that it is an old medium. Uh, it goes back uh, to Egypt, actually, and it does age well. The folks that have done the restoration on the work said that it responded very well to the cleaning. And uh, the heat that is applied to the surface after the paint is done helps to seal in the work. Um, so I'm glad that that was the medium he chose because it has seemed to retain its color once the cleaning has been done. But let's look at the painting itself. Uh, after you notice the initial overall quiet of the tone, a few things uh, are, come forward, I think, as you observe it and just kind of sit with it. First of all, if you look at the composition of the painting, and I have it before me here, so I'm going to be looking at it as we talk about it, but uh, there's a very strong triangular composition that brings your eye to Jesus. If you see that uh, triangle right in the middle, the peak of the triangle at Christ's head, and then the bottom left triangle going down to the foal, and the other triangle going down to the bottom where the gentleman with his hand uh, outstretched in front of Jesus. And that triangle really works well to set up the strong horizon behind him, but really to draw our attention to what uh, Jean Hippolyte Flandrin wanted us to really pay attention to, uh, both in lighting and positioning. He's told us what is important in this position or in this uh, painting. The context is the Passover. We see the crowds and the palms extended in many of their hands in Jerusalem. So this places it in the proper time for the triumphal entry, which um, we've talked about and read about from the gospel. So he's uh, followed the gospel pretty appropriately, which goes along with what we read about his character. And then I really think this is uh, beautiful to notice the symbols of humility that Flandrin has utilized in the painting. Of course, we see that Jesus is on a donkey and not a steed, and uh, that the foal is be right beside the donkey. That's only referenced in Matthew of all the Gospels. Um, Luke did not mention that, as we read earlier. Uh, not a contradiction, just a, a different storytelling. You know, if you went to a party and somebody told the story, somebody might say, oh yeah, I was at the party and I saw Kim and I saw Jim. And somebody else might tell the story and say, yeah, I saw Kim and we were at the story or at the party and we did this and this. It doesn't mean Jim wasn't at the party. It just means you told the story and uh, mentioned that I was. So that's what happens sometimes with the stories of the gospel. So we note that there is the donkey, the humility of a donkey. You see, uh, riding in on a steed would be the conquering hero and the political hero coming in 
like the conquering king, not the humble servant king, lowly and riding on a donkey. So we see that humility. We see the donkey's ears back in submission. We see the position and the posture of the foal. And again, that uh, submission posture. Again, another, another symbol of humility. And then note, there's the garment on the ground for Jesus uh, and his animal to walk on uh, as, again, a sign of submission. And then we see the people in front of him bowing, the head down, the hands on the ground, the hands uh, in prayer. So all of those are symbols of humility. He comes as the servant king, not the warrior, not the political figure. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, to come to bear our sins. It's surprisingly triumphant and surprisingly humble. Then um, another thing I think is a beautiful storytelling device that he has in this painting is to note the crowd. And we see the crowd uh, behind him, beside him, and in front of him. To the side of him, the crowd seems to be uncertain. You can see some of them, their mouths are shut and their eyes are sort of wide. They don't know what to make of this. Uh, they're silent. They're speechless. Then you see the crowd behind him, and it looks to be, I see one of the men has a, a crown on his head, and um, they're in very serious robes. I believe this might have been um, maybe the religious leaders of the day, and they seem to be belligerent at him. They're making faces that seem to be a little bit arrogant, perhaps. And then we see the crowd in front of him, and they seem to be exhibiting worship. They're bowing down, uh, their arms are raised, their heads down. They're exhibiting signs that this is their king indeed. And they're showing signs of worship before him. And I love, one of the things I love the most is the man who's lifting his baby up so he can see Jesus. And I I just can't help but think the man is lifting this child, not so much for Jesus to bless, but for the child to see the Messiah so that this child for the rest of his life will remember this day, the Passover, when Jesus the Messiah came into Jerusalem on the donkey as the humble servant king, his triumphal entry. Well, for us, as we look at this painting, um, maybe the takeaway has something to do with the crowd. Maybe we look at that crowd and wonder where would we be if we were in that crowd, or maybe where are we today? Um, you know, what is our reaction to the approach of Jesus in our lives right now? That might be the meditation for us in the coming week. Um, are we surprised? Are we, are we breathless or speechless? Um, are we in some way belligerent, resisting the presence of Christ in our life? Or are we responding in worship? Well, now I um, will read for us a prayer. This is from St. Andrew of Crete from the seventh century, a very early church father. And it's a beautiful prayer that fits perfectly 
with the triumphal entry. So um, I'll read that for us as we close our time together. If you'll bow your heads with me. In his humility, Christ entered the dark regions of our fallen world, and he is glad that he became so humble for our sake. Glad that he came and lived among us and shared in our nature in order to raise us up again to himself. And even though we are told that he has now ascended above the highest heavens, the proof surely of his power and Godhead, his love for man will never rest until he has raised our earthbound nature from glory to glory and made it one with his own in heaven. So let us spread before his feet, not garments or soulless olive branches, which delight the eye for a few hours and then wither, but ourselves clothed in his grace, or rather clothed completely in him. We who have been baptized into Christ must ourselves be the garments that we spread before him. Now that the crimson stains of our sins have been washed away in the waters of baptism, and we have become white as pure wool, let us present the conqueror of death, not with mere branches of palms, but with the real rewards of his victory. Let our souls take the place of the welcoming branches as we join today in the children's holy song. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you next Friday. Curate's Corner with Kim Thomas is a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you find this daily podcast beneficial, leave a review and share it with friends and family. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit thevillagechapel.com. Music for this podcast by Charlie Peacock. 